starting a cryptocurrency ransomware account, and complexity as a cause of and solution for cyber threats. These stories and more coming up in the ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro. We start off today's report with a look at how enterprises should respond to ransomware. Matt Schwartz extensively covers ransomware as executive editor of Data Breach Today, and he joins me. Welcome, Matt. Hi, Eric. Time is of the essence when it comes to reacting to crypto-locking malware infections. In fact, don't cyber extortionists target institutions that function using time-sensitive information? We are increasingly seeing attackers set their sights on organizations that have records that have some sort of time-related component. This could be banks, healthcare organizations, or anybody else who might need to get access to their records really quickly. The reason that's important is because even if you are well-prepared against ransomware attacks, meaning you've got offline backups, you can wipe and restore all your systems, this isn't something that happens with the snap of a finger. This isn't something that even necessarily happens overnight. In the best case, you're probably looking at a few days. And for larger organizations, you could be looking at even more time. That creates pressure on organizations to think about paying attackers rather than attempting to wait and suffer the business consequences of taking the time to restore their systems. What should these organizations do to protect themselves? One of the things I was hearing about at our recent summit in New York City was some healthcare organizations are actually stockpiling bitcoins. And they're doing this so that if they do suffer a ransomware infection, they have the option to quickly pay off ransomware attackers, just as with the movies where you see criminals or terrorists demanding a million dollars or $10 million. That isn't something you can necessarily get together right away. They are preparing in advance to do this. At our summit in New York City, I was talking with Verizon's security evangelist, Mark Rash, who founded the Justice Department's first cybercrime investigations unit. And he was saying that this is a trend that he has heard of as well, although organizations need to be careful. There are good points and bad points to paying the ransom. The bad point is it makes you a target for future attacks. In some instances, it may be considered to be illegal by paying material support to terrorist organizations or contributing to computer hacking. Some insurance companies will not pay claims for paying ransom on the grounds that the paying of the ransom is illegal. Then they won't pay the claim afterwards because you failed to mitigate your own damages. So it's a double-edged sword. So how should organizations approach cyber insurance? A lot of cyber insurance appears to be designed for more straight up situations, as in you got breached, you suffered a malware infection, bunch of systems crashed and you lost data. In the case of ransomware, what Rash was telling me is you need to pay a special attention to what is written in the policy. You may be covered for data loss or data theft, but in a ransomware situation, the data is not lost and it's not destroyed. You know exactly where it is. It's the same place it has always been. So you may or may not have coverage for ransomware or for the ransom that you pay. And it's not enough to have your risk people, your insurance people, your lawyers looking at the insurance policy. Have your technical people look at it because they know what happens in an incident. What Rash is saying there is, yes, you should think about cyber insurance. Also, you should think about building up a stockpile of bitcoins in case you have a rainy day emergency that you're not able to deal with. That's counterintuitive thinking. Having great defenses in place so you never get infected with ransomware in the first place is still the number one recommended course of action here. But it pays to have a plan B and a plan C. And it's incumbent upon organizations to see if they might need 
that plan B and plan C? And if so, to start preparing now. Thanks, Matt. Thank you, Eric. Complexity is the cause of many cyber threats, and complexity could be its potential cure, too. That's the view of Phil Reutinger. He heads the not-for-profit Global Cyber Alliance, a former Homeland Security Deputy Undersecretary for Cybersecurity. Reutinger delivered the keynote address at ISMG's recent Fraud and Breach Prevention Summit in New York, where I caught up with him. Reutinger sees the vastness and complexity of the Internet as creating cyber vulnerabilities. Those same characteristics, however, could one day be security's salvation. One of the reasons our risk keeps going up is we keep making our devices more complicated, which increases their attack surface area, and we're connecting them to the Internet, and we're relying on them more and more. The size of the network is historically a very scary thing for risk. And as we move to an Internet of Things environment, it's more scary. The size of the network is a barrier to security only until we say it isn't. The only salvation the good guys really have is the size of the network. And if we can instrument it and use that distributed network to observe security events and enable automated local security decisions with some key changes, we can actually turn the size of the network to our advantage to enable it to respond in the way an autoimmune system would and to restrict attacks before they spread. But this ideal security scenario Reitinger envisions remains one or two decades away. Until then, he says, the cybersecurity environment will worsen and that will require a deep commitment from government and the private sector to keep the cyber ecosystem secure. We've got to continue to enhance our technologies and make our solutions more scalable. Most importantly, until we actually have an ecosystem that is actually defendable, we've got to put a lot of focus behind hiring and training the right people because there's a critical shortage of cybersecurity professionals. I'm really tired of people, governments in particular, talking about the problem and saying that you know, they're going to put a million dollars or a couple of million dollars. Don't talk to me about cyber training programs until there's a billion behind it because that's the scale of the problem we're facing. To watch the entire video interview with Reitinger, go to InfoRiskToday.com and keyword complexity as cause. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. It's not just big healthcare data breaches that have caught the interest of federal regulators. Now the Department of Health and Human Services Office of Civil Rights is ramping up and standardizing how smaller health data breaches are being investigated by its regional offices. Healthcare Info Security Executive Editor Miriam Kolpasak-McGee this week spoke with Ileana Peters. Peters is Senior Advisor for Compliance and Enforcement under HIPAA, the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act at OCR, the Office for Civil Rights. Welcome, Marianne. Hi, Eric. Why had OCR offices only investigated breaches affecting 500 or more individuals, and why the change in policy? It's not as though OCR didn't investigate smaller breaches. That was really up to the discretion of regional offices based on their resources and other factors. But OCR really wants organizations to know that whether a breach is small or big, it's something that needs scrutiny. So this new policy seems to put healthcare and related organizations on notice that all sizes of breaches will likely be investigated, right? That's correct. Eliana Peters explains. 
the purpose of this listserv announcement was really to let the industry know that we are sort of standardizing how we're going to approach these investigations and to put them on notice that they may receive data requests in this area, but also to remind them to take a closer look at their own compliance practices with regard to these types of breaches. What will OCR be looking for in deciding whether to investigate smaller breaches? Well, OCR will look at issues such as whether there's a pattern of similar breaches, smaller breaches being reported by the same entities. And in some cases, perhaps there are entities that aren't reporting any breaches or under-reporting breaches compared to other organizations of their size and in that sort of location, basically sort of benchmarking them. Peter explains that what OCR will be looking at is some sort of pattern of noncompliance. We understand that people make mistakes and sometimes these things really are just an employee error of some kind. But in the circumstances where you have multiple single breaches that affect numbers of individuals for the same reason, like there may be some sort of consistent mismailing or consistent misfaxing, which is something we often see in these smaller breach reports, that may indicate that the covered entity or business associate needs to take a closer look at their administrative safeguards, for example, to make sure that their employees are appropriately understanding how they should do those mailings or faxings, etc. With all these additional investigation, where is the money coming from to support them? OCR is collecting millions of dollars, especially this year, in settlements in HIPAA noncompliance cases with some healthcare organizations. And in addition to some of the financial settlements that they've collected, they've also issued civil monetary penalties at two organizations in the past. And so this money is basically being repurposed to ramp up enforcement. A good way to raise money. Yeah, (laughs) self-sufficient. Okay, thanks, Marianne. Thanks, Eric. Finally, a study published by the data protection company BitGlass says hacking caused only one in five data leaks at financial services organizations. The company says that over the last several years, one quarter of breaches in financial services were due to lost or stolen devices. 14% were blamed on unintended disclosures and 13% on malicious insiders. And BitGlass contends more than 60 financial services organizations suffered recurring breaches in the past decade, including most major banks. And that includes the nation's largest bank, J.P. Morgan Chase. It has suffered recurring breaches since 2007. That's the ISMG Security Report. Our theme is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Eric Chabro. Catch you next time.